Hello, my name is Agent 007 and I'm here to provide a content warning for the invisible show you're about to listen to. RIS is a program that offers a unique perspective on the cinema, opera, and classical music. Bond. Yes. It's just movies and TV shows. Are you sure? Yeah, pretty sure. Ah, very well then. The Invisible Show offers a unique perspective on movies and shows of the television. However, I must say, RIS does not match the superiority of British intelligence. As a listener, you should be wary of any miners that are lurking in the vicinity as you're playing this episode, because the following will contain offensive language. And keep in mind, this will contain hot takes, I never heard of that one, and spoilers. I myself will be paying close attention as a spy working for a secret organization known as MI6. So enjoy the program and carry on. Ah, stop. Put your hands away. Come on, folks. Man, that is a great feeling. Welcome, everyone, to RIS number 11. It's a privilege to be back here in the studio, and uh, I don't mean to bore anybody with the formalities, but... Yeah, yeah, you do. What? Who said that? Who the fuck said that? Uh, weird. It's like these voices know exactly what I'm thinking. You said it. Uh, okay. Well, anyway... Thank you, James Bond, for coming down to L.A. and recording that monologue for us. We sincerely appreciate it. Uh, if you haven't already, please follow The Invisible Show on social media at number one You can do Twitter or Instagram or both. Uh, all right. So I'm glad you're all listening because we have a great program lined up for today's episode. I'll be talking about all the Daniel Craig Bond movies that have been released so far and another movie that's been requested by one of my followers on Instagram. So be sure to look at the timestamps in the description in case you want to skip to any specific review. And so without further ado and without a second thought, let's get into it. Let me be completely honest and admit, I never saw any genuine spy thrillers prior to binging the Daniel Craig James Bond films. It's true, I've seen a lot of satire spy comedies like Kingsman and Austin Powers, but not a single one of the 007 movies. Nothing. So, I like to think I have a fresh perspective to offer, and I guess you can say my take is a bit different to the consensus on these films, for good and for valid reasons in my opinion. I'm going to review each one that's been released so far and discuss how they compare to one another. Anyone who hasn't seen them is still invited to listen, because I don't believe I'll be ruining anything. It'll be relatively easy for you to follow along, and best of all, it'll be really fun. I'll mostly be delving deep into Bond's character, recalling certain events, evaluating the themes that are relevant, and talk about the plot. Etc. and etc. That's still a little weird for me. Anyway, I'll also be answering whether or not these movies are worth watching in the middle of the reviews, 
after the two movies, and at the very end. So the film that's naturally up first is Casino Royale. I have a feeling that any person who knows the 007 movies fairly well will cringe when I say this out loud. But I actually didn't like this movie as much as the other ones, at least not at first. Which is ironic, considering how this one's hailed as one of the greatest out of the entire franchise. Out of all 26 Bond films, this is the one that's probably the most recommended next to Dr. No, Goldfinger, GoldenEye, you name it. It certainly has great qualities, but to me it was just a generic spy flick when I first watched it. With romance, of course. But, after some deep thought, I've come to find this movie's a lot better than what I originally gave it credit for. Here's a basic synopsis of Casino that I found online. After receiving a license to kill, British Secret Service agent James Bond heads to Madagascar, where he uncovers a link to Le Chiffre, Mad Mickelson, the villain, who, a man who finances terrorist organizations, learning that Le Chiffre plans to raise money in a high-stakes poker game. MI6 sends Bond to play against him, gambling that their newest 00 operative will topple the man's organization. Bond subsequently falls in love with another agent named Vesper, who crosses him by the end of the film. Okay, so that last part I, I threw in there, but you'll see why. Those were most of the key points of Casino, so would I recommend it to anyone? Absolutely, but he's not a character that's for everybody, if you know what I mean. Bond's actions and behavior throughout the series is very, very questionable. I'm on board with most people when they say the opening chase sequence is amazing and purposeful. In fact, each of the opening sequences uh, for these movies managed to leave my mouth wide open. In the beginning of the movie, Bond earns his double O status by killing two people, one of them being a traitor of MI6, and then it quickly cuts to a brilliant CG opening credit montage with a song by Chris Cornell. If you're not going to watch the movie anytime soon, then pause this episode and listen to the song right now. Type in You Know My Name by Chris Cornell. I don't know how they did it, but it makes me feel like a spy each time that I listen to it. It incorporates the Bond theme music with the rock and roll genre. Oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Anyway, back to Bond. In one of the next few scenes, Bond is relentlessly chasing someone he was sent to interrogate, but ends up killing the guy to get himself out of being captured by a foreign military when he wasn't supposed to. I'll talk more about this scene near the end because there's something very crucial that I want to highlight. The dialogue and action are great, and the moments that stood out to me the most is where Bond and Le Chief are sitting across from each other during poker, trying to figure out whether their opponent is bluffing in the game or not. Locking eye contact and on the watch for any signs of weakness. It was so subtle and neat because it's not so common where we see characters studying each other in a calm environment with high stakes. All of it was great, but ugh, the story fell a little short of my expectations. Because as a standalone film, it was kind of predictable. Lashif dies at the all-is-lost moment beat in the film, where Bond is naked and getting tortured. And soon after Bond professes his love to Vesper with 25 minutes left in the film, at that moment I go, okay, she's going to betray him. She's going to betray him. There's no way that she's not. And it's not much of a spoiler, because while I might not have seen any of the Bond movies prior to watching this film, he's still an icon known to be a womanizer, so you know things are going to lead 
cocktail climax because of the time and because everyone expects Bond to seduce a bunch of other women in, in his series. I will say the writers in general, not just with this movie, but with all of them that I've seen, are guilty of using this character to satisfy men's fantasies of overpowering women with smooth seduction. But let's not be too self-righteous. Uh, sex in movies is what we live for. In the moment where he professes his love to Vesper, he completely surrenders himself to her, claiming that he's hers and hers alone. They live in a romantic getaway until he finds out she was using him to get the money he won in the poker tournament, and dies in a locked elevator sinking into water by the end of the movie as Bond was trying to save her. In the beginning, Bond is shown as this reckless and arrogant agent who would compromise the goal of the mission for his own ego. In the brilliant parkour chase scene that I mentioned earlier, he was using everything in his environment to get to his target, even if it meant destroying large-scale building projects and costing civilian casualties. Because, one, he doesn't care about the safety of others, and he doesn't care about his own safety for that matter. He was willing to take all kinds of monumental risks for the thrill. You know, we hardly get to see him rest throughout the movie, and as soon as Bond goes through a near-death experience with Vesper, you can see how he absolutely trusts her, because no one could ever truly understand what he's been through, except her. He wrongly assumed she could be his rest. While the thrill of living with grand adventures, coping through alcohol, having peak physical qualities, and seducing multiple women for pleasure and for the sake of the mission may seem unparalleled, it looks exhausting. Daniel Craig's Bond is severely beaten throughout his first movie, taking multiple punches, kicks, and other various wounds, while constantly getting reprimanded by his boss M. As soon as he finds solace, he resigns abruptly, and without question so he could actually cherish a life with the beloved. And sadly, we don't get to see him reach what he was yearning for, just the readmission of the perpetual playboy spy lifestyle, or genuine perpetual suffering. Bond is shown as the type of person that's unfazed by anything, but how long could that poker face last? You see where I'm getting at? The tournament served as the perfect metaphor for Bond's internal struggle. He's written as an impenetrable force of nature, always on the villain's tail, physically and mentally, except when he's deceived into finally having the courage to be vulnerable with someone. Vesper ended up stealing from him to spare the life of her other lover, as it was revealed by M, and she ultimately chooses to drown herself in a locked elevator out of guilt. What's even more tragic is that Bond did everything he could to save her, but to no avail leaving him with nothing but remorse, anger, and confusion. And when we get one of the last lines from him in the movie, If you do need time. Why should I need more time? Job's done. The bitch is dead. We know Bond resents her for the betrayal and is hurting because of it, which leads us into the next film, the one that I would truly hail above the rest. Oh boy. I want to burn this sentiment into your brain real fast. Say it with me. Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace by themselves make up the perfect duology. I would even argue Quantum of Solace is better than Casino Royale. However, much to my dismay, not many people would agree with me, and so we'll talk about that. The story picks up an hour after the events of Casino Royale, where Bond is immediately being chased down by some random goons on a high-speed freeway, which gives the first sign of a recurring problem for the movie, and that is the shaky cam, quick-cut editing effects. 
I mean, I really loved this film when I first saw it, and even when I couldn't help but notice the flaws right away. But they were forgivable, at least to me. And after watching it, I thought I was going to see a lot of folks who shared my opinion. But it turned out audiences and critics panned it for being a weaker Bond film. I ended up seeing a lot of dumb reviews from when this movie was released, and a lot of the complaints were really stupid. The late Roger Elbert, who was a famous film critic at the time, captures the essence of why so many people couldn't appreciate this film, and can't to this day. In his review, he made a lot of stupid comments on how Bond isn't an action hero like Jason Bourne. He's an attitude. How the female Lee didn't have an interesting name like Pussy Galore or Vesper. The creep literally spent a whole paragraph in his article complaining about how her name is just Camille. I'm not making this shit up, and then he obsesses over how the plot was more grounded in reality than having the villain on a moon with the big giant laser pointed at Earth. What? That was my reaction when I first saw it. I don't understand the criticisms at all, and I guess people were upset at how different it was compared to the older films. I presume that I wasn't predisposed to that opinion since I didn't see the 20 other Bond films or read any of the novels, but, but Bond is consistent with how he was in Casino Royale, so how could anyone validly bash this one while Casino is one of the most beloved in the whole franchise? Side note, I could respect a filmmaker a lot more for pouring their heart out into a project that will end up sucking, quote-unquote, than someone who just sits there types and criticizes like a coward. You all need to understand, critiques of this nature are often childish, moronic, fragile, and projections of inner frustration. But I digress. Back to the review. The story, as mentioned before, is grounded in reality and is still very relevant to this day. It's about a, a corrupt corporate tyrant who is part of the secret organization known as Quantum that tries to own a piece of land in an underdeveloped country under the pretense of oil. Bond is tasked with usurping this guy's momentum, but is actually there to chase after the person who indirectly caused Vesper's death. What's great is that all the major industrial leaders like the US and the UK turn against Bond in this movie because of their own interest with oil. And they eventually force MI6 and M to turn against him at the all is lost moment, making this one of his most monumental challenges that he's ever had to face. When I mention how he didn't rest too much in the last film, it's doubled for this one. You can see how he's lost interest in his appearance after it's literally been torn apart from all the fights he's had to endure. And much like his clothes, his feelings about Vesper are unresolved, so he's shown drinking instead of sleeping in a quiet moment between him and Mathis in the film, who also pleaded for Bond to forgive her on his dying breath. Bond was choosing to be caught up in his own torment. He comes to reconcile with his emotions by the end, and the why itself is pretty intriguing. You see, Camille's arc running parallel to Bond's is also seeking revenge against an evil general from her home country that killed and strangled her whole family when she was very young. And this is my take. Perhaps after helping and witnessing Camille attain that, did he finally find it within himself to forgive Vesper? He might have figured it was just low to seek petty revenge against someone Vesper was trying to save the life of, which is what made him spare the lover and bring him to justice with the help of British authorities at the end, 
when Bond finally finds him. That's my take, or perhaps he was just tired and decided to forgive to ease his sorrow. Even though the movie was released 13 years ago, the themes are still very relevant to this day because a major question that we have going on right now is uh, how these underdeveloped countries are going to sustain themselves with various crises on their hands and whether larger countries can stop themselves from stripping the smaller ones of their natural resources. Alas, if I gave you all of my thoughts on this film, it would be in vain. Since someone already did a 50 minute review on YouTube, it's called Why Quantum of Solace is a Perfect James Bond Movie by Filmspeak. I highly recommend this video if you want to learn more about why it's better than people think. One thing I will comment on though is that I think some audiences could appreciate this film for its own merits without comparing it to the previous ones. So let's return to the question I originally asked. Are these films even worth watching? Yes. If you're curious about more tonally serious spy thrillers with a great story of romance, forgiveness, and revenge, if you're someone who isn't too partial to all the other James Bond installments, then I'd say these two films by themselves are perfect for you. They're meant for you, even. If you're generally looking for an entertaining action movie with cool stunts, give Casino tw at least 20 minutes of your time to see if you like it. If you're in a relationship, binge watch these with your partner and do some roleplay afterward and invite me over. They're both available on Netflix right now. You could watch them back to back and feel perfectly satisfied with stopping there. Skyfall and Spectre were both directed by Sam Mendes and have a completely different feeling from the other two. The technical aspect is far superior, but from a storytelling perspective, uh, I have to tell you, they're both kinda, well, cockapoo-poo. Okay, maybe not that bad. There were a lot of misses, and that's primarily what I want to share with you the most out of everything else. Uh, keep in mind that each of the movies, all four of them had three screenwriters, and only one of them was on board for each one, and while Bond was still consistently written, there were a lot of plot choices that I would deem as unforgivable. The opening of Skyfall is very well crafted like all the rest. You have a chase sequence where Bond is acting reckless again to get to his opponent and a great number by Adele for the CG intro. I gotta admit, this one didn't leave that big of an impression on me, uh, which was a surprise since this is also a fan favorite like Casino Royale. At the beginning, we see Bond enjoying some time off uh, after another agent shot him down while he was fighting with his target, which left him with physical ailments that are repeatedly inquired about in the film, or at least in the first act. And right after he's hurt, the MI6 building is blown up. We finally get to see Bond taking his time relaxing, numbing his anguish with excessive consumption of alcohol before he reports back for duty. The movie explores his relationship with M and reveals a little bit more about his backstory, which is something we don't get with the previous two films. We even learned that Bond was adopted into MI6 as an orphan, which made for a great parallel between him and the villain who was hinted at being reared the exact same way. And that's actually my biggest problem with this film, is how things were a little too subtle with this movie, which sadly made it my least favorite. 
The last two Craig Bond films definitely explore where he came from and the inciting incidents that led him to become an agent, although they're both relatively vague about the details. The writers try to use the show don't tell rule for this one, but when Bond has the same stoic expression the entire time, it's hard to infer how the events are affecting him personally. Don't get me wrong. Craig is still excellent. I just wish they could have told us more about how something like the death of his parents affected him. He's not the best at showing his emotions, so the moments where he chooses to be vulnerable were very few and far between. And while the acting was on point, he seemed like he really didn't care. He really didn't give a shit about the stakes in this one because the villain's goal was actually just to kill M for betraying him uh, a decade before. There's one line in this movie that has shock value, but something we never really get answers for. Like, okay, the villain Silva, played by Javier Bardet, was locked in place and claimed M was his mom. He called her mother, and the only explanation we get from M is, I had to give him up since the Chinese were onto him. And I was left there unsure of whether he meant she was his actual mother or if he just viewed her as a mother figure. It's the latter, and I didn't know that until I looked it up. But what I liked about this film the most is how they show M is willing to emotionally detach from her agents on a whim's notice in order to save more people in her organization and in the country. But it seemed like Bond wasn't that interested in digging deeper because, again, he's a character that's unfazed by almost anything, so I was left there wondering, like, what the heck? If the character is uninterested in inquiring for more, or if he's unfazed by the antagonist's goals, then what does that do for anyone watching? I can't feel emotionally invested if our guy doesn't seem to care. He's just chasing after Silva or protecting M, and we get very few lines on why they care about each other. It was a revenge story against her. The only reason why Bond is involved is because of it. They tried to make us believe she was this mother figure in his life, but they're both absolutely stoic and there was no indication of a deeper affiliation between them other than her nagging at him for being careless in the previous films. So yeah, Bond is just there hurtling through the action. It felt like he was just doing her a favor. Knowing there's one other film and another movie coming later this year, I didn't fear for Bond's own sake at all. I knew he was going to come out of it alive, especially seeing how he's reacting to all of it. I also think this movie would have been a lot better if Bond's injuries from the opening were somewhat permanent. Casino Royale did a perfect job at showing the vulnerability of the man behind the cold spy exterior, and while Skyfall has similar moments, they're mostly near the beginning, and he kinda shakes it off as if it's nothing. I mean, the man fell at least 150 feet at 44 years old. Just have him limp around or something, or show us some moments where we see him personally dealing with the injury on his own, because that's the kind of thing that his character would do. Ah, uh, well... Aside from all the negatives, there are plenty of pluses. All the actors are giving their best, uh, you get to see where Bond grew up, the action, while standard, is still pretty good, so this movie is kind of worth sitting through before Spectre. Uh, I'll give you one more reason as to why I think this movie's somewhat compelling. It's the way in which MI6 adopts these young men and women who are bound to emotionally latch on to people within the organization, and how there was actually a parallel between Bond, who was screwed over by M many, plenty of times, and Silva himself. They were both wronged by M for MI6's greater good and their own separate incidents, but Bond was never the type to latch on to people, unlike Silva. And it makes sense that he's like that because of her, but I just wish they could have shown more of the attachment aspect. 
Anyway, there aren't any major flaws, so watch it if you have the time. Just have fun with all the big explosions that happen. You'll get a decent story, and by the end, spoiler alert, a new amb and a new regular by the name of Miss Moneypenny, who I'm pretty sure was a character featured in other movies and in the novels. Okay, we're here. We've finally arrived at the one I'm most eager to talk about. Spectre. I had some mixed thoughts when I first watched this film, and while they are mostly positive, I can't help but mention the opportunities it missed out on. It has a great opening like Skyfall and Casino Royale. And it starts with a, a glimpse of Bond in disguise as he's going through a crowd of people in a parade located in Mexico City. He makes it to a hotel room with a lover and goes on the rooftop to assassinate a target. And all of this is taken in one shot. It's magnificent. Breathtaking. Sam Mendes outdoes his direction in Skyfall with uh, amazing wide angles of gorgeous locations and a lot more you'll definitely have to see for yourself. Back to the opening, though. Uh, as soon as Bond attempts to kill his target, shit immediately hits the fan. A bomb goes off in the building, and the target escapes it. And as he's chasing the guy down the street in the middle of the parade, the building collapses behind them. And the guy gets on a helicopter in the middle of a crowd where Bond latches on and starts causing a ruckus. The level of insanity on a scale of 1 to 10 goes from 5 to 150 in 0.5 seconds because Bond starts punching the pilot and messes with the controls as the helicopter is hovering above a large crowd. Yeah, I was on the edge of my seat for the whole opening while also a bit frustrated with Bond's incompetence. Bond was fighting multiple people at once in the helicopter, and every time the pilot regained his focus, Bond would deliberately mess with him again. Like, bro, wait till you're in the sky and finished with everyone else before you deal with the pilot and take control of the helicopter for a safe landing. It looked like he was trying to pump up the number of civilian casualties after the building fell. So, because Bond was stupidly reckless in the beginning like all the rest, MI6 is not on his side during the film. Big shocker, right? So he goes off on his own to find out more about his target, as it was M's last wish, where he subsequently finds that the guy belonged to a group called Spectre, a top-secret elite organization that's powerful, influential, and whose goal is to increase their control by acquiring access to mass surveillance technology. And I loved the idea for this theme. The looming threat of mass surveillance is very relevant and something much bigger than any protagonist is able to handle. An idea like this is not just alluring for a nefarious villain who twists their mustache, but for any world leader that wants to dominate, stay in power, or just to control the level of violence that's happening in the world right now. There's so much moral ambiguity they could have explored, but it sadly gets muddled with a personal revenge story against Bond. You definitely could understand the motives for why the Spectre organization would need to exist, as it's explained by one of the antagonists in the third act. To paraphrase what they said to M, there is a need for their organization to keep watch over the world, to influence its patterns, because otherwise it could just devolve into unorganized chaos. But rather than refuting the argument, M just kind of punches him and subdues him with a generic one-liner. Yeah, man, you're done for. You can't control the world that way, man. Okay, that's not exactly what happens, and I know how weird it would be for two enemies to have a debate in the midst of a high-stakes debacle, but you get the picture. I love seeing characters solve complex moral dilemmas on screen, especially when the protagonist is contemplating whether the evil genius plan is a good idea. Maybe we should have a benevolent entity watching over world actors and depleting all forces that are irresponsible with the avail of mass surveillance technology. 
What if Bond had a moment where he realized it needs to be stopped either way because allowing this power to remain intact could easily fall into the wrong hands with each passing generation? It's not worth the risk. It would have been so perfect to see him morally dumbfounded and doubt himself for once. They definitely should have enhanced this aspect of the film rather than having the focus on Christoph Waltz being angry at James Bond for ruining his childhood. Like, it's been over 30 years, dude, get over yourself. His introduction was well shot and brilliant near the end of the first act, and you could definitely feel how foreboding the tension was in that scene. But aside from that, I could not sympathize with the villain whose entire goal was to ruin Bond's life. We can't even sympathize with the villain who's hell-bent on an absurd level of revenge just because he wanted his daddy's undivided attention when he was younger. It was really disappointing to see that they underutilized Christoph Waltz, one of the best actors working in Hollywood right now. If they had made him ambitious for power because he thought it was the right thing to do, and if the writers had Bond try to get through to him, it would have easily been way better. 1000%. Apparently, he was the guy behind the curtain this whole time. Like, you know, there were scenes where he mentioned that he was the one pulling the strings for the other movies, too. Even suggesting he was directly responsible for Vespers and M's deaths, as if the people that killed them didn't have their own motivations. I didn't buy it. And like I said, I appreciated how the other motivation was something interesting, and there are a lot of components of this film that are great, too. Dave Batista was fucking terrifying as this ruthless and domineering assassin who was without a doubt the perfect physical adversary to Bond. They didn't utilize all of his acting potential though, but it's easy to tell how much older and more frail this Bond has gotten far from his prime physicality. And when you match it with unrelenting brute strength, you got yourself a formula for movie magic. I'm thinking the writers took inspiration from Bane since Skyfall, the previous film, was released the same year as The Dark Knight Rises, and the fact that Bane and Batman match my description of Bond and Batista's juxtaposition Inspector. The other thing that's definitely often outdated was the seduction and romance. There's the scene where Bond is seducing this woman after he admits to killing her husband. He backs her into a wall and just starts putting his lips on her face. She stares at him for a moment and then just kisses him back. It just, it felt so unnatural and weird and gross. And this scene probably wouldn't be tolerated by many in today's climate. I won't speak for too long on the main love interest of the film, but she was all right. I appreciated how this entire thing was just a send off for Bond to live somewhat of a normal life after these events with the woman that he loves. This is what he yearned for in the first two movies after all. So it pains me to be the buzzkill about this, but it was so rushed. They only knew each other for a few days before she professed her love for him while he was being tortured by Christoph Waltz's character. And what was even more dumb is how she told him that she couldn't be with him like right in the smack dab middle of the climax. Like, dude, come on, Sam Mendes. You, you couldn't have made it more obvious for us. You couldn't have made it more obvious that she was gonna be captured by Bond's new nemesis. Like, Jesus. I enjoyed this film, though, and would I recommend it? Yeah, that that depends if you like Skyfall and if you want to see more of Bond. The only one that felt like a chore was Skyfall, which is ironically also considered one of the best films in the franchise, like I mentioned before. So what do I know? Let me rank them for you so you can get an idea. I'd put Quantum of Solace at the very top, easily. Place Casino Royale above Spectre. At first, I was going to put Spectre right below Quantum of Solace, but after I thought about it more, I thought, yeah, Casino is like definitely a lot better. 
and I'd put Skyfall in last place. Now remember, everyone's opinion on film is subjective. There were more emotionally resonant elements in Quantum and Casino for me than the other two. The two main reasons why I've chosen to talk about these movies is because I've been meaning to watch Casino Royale for quite a while because of its reputation as one of the greatest action movies of all time and because it was on Netflix. Um, and well, also, No Time to Die is going to be released this October, so I thought, well, I'll give them a, a, a free advertisement. Let's do a little promotion, So why, and why not? It's going to become very relevant very soon. The producers have stated this last film will complete Bond's emotional arcs, which is kind of surprising since he sort of devotes himself to his love interest by the end of the Spectre and drives off. Like, I, I would think that is the end of his emotional arc, for me at least. I'm curious to see what they'll do as this one's getting a new director and how they'll explore his character. Uh, they've had six years, so they better not fuck it up since this will be the last time where Daniel Craig will reprise his role. Well, I've, I've pretty much covered everything with the Bond movies, so now I'm going to talk about a movie that's been requested on Instagram by... Hello, loser. Stephanie! What in the hell is your problem? My name isn't Stephanie this time. It's Steffi Galore. It seems a little derivative of pussy galore. Don't try to objectify me with sexist names. You talk about a white man for 30 minutes and fail to talk about any movies with adequate bi POC representation. Okay, just take a chill pill. Listen, they're just movies. And this is my show. You can't just come in here to boss me around and treat me like I'm garbage. I don't have time to hear you babble. Hurry up and review these movies with Deanna. In the Heights, Black Widow, and Loki? Stephanie, In the Heights is not even on HBO anymore, and everyone else has already jumped in the Marvel wagon, so she- Fine. I'll review them. Just don't point that thing at me. Why don't you go back to your home on Whore Island? You said it, Ron Burgundy, but Stephanie left me with no other choice. Roll the segment. Welcome, everybody. This is the second part of the episode that is not scripted and with my uh, beautiful, lovely girlfriend, Deanna. So welcome. Hello, everybody. I'm back. I know. Yeah, you took a long hiatus. Yes, I did. Because but... you were in the hospital for so long. <laughs> yeah, I lost my memory. It took me a while to remember. Yeah, but... But we're here reviewing movies, and that's all that matters now. So that's cool. Um, uh, so wait a minute. What are we even discussing first? It's Loki. No, we'll do no, In the Heights. Oh yeah. Okay. So for this uh, segment, um, Deanna and I actually watched all three of them together, right? No, not all three. Oh, we not saw Loki. Loki separate. We saw one episode together. Yes. Yeah. But um, yeah, we're talking about In the Heights, Black Widow, uh, because we did see that in theaters, and then Loki. So just three things, and uh, yeah, just casually talking about movies and shows. So I kind of wanted to talk about In the Heights first, and the reason being, this is not going to be a, a review discussion. <laughs> it's more of like a recollection of what happened, because Deanna and I saw it, uh, today is Saturday? No, Sunday. Sunday. Oh my God, we, we saw it like Monday. We saw it Monday or, or Tuesday, one of those no, two days. No, we saw it no, last Sunday. We saw, yeah, we saw it a week Saturday, ago. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh, shit. Okay. Well, yeah, I remember that night because I took you home. Okay. All right. Um, What happened in, in the Heights? Okay, so well, you... Give give us your 
Come on, come on, give us your, come on, give us your thoughts. <laughs> well, overall, I really liked it, but um, there are some parts I forgot. But in general, I feel like I connected a lot with it just because of the overall themes and the immigration aspect and all of that. But well, where do you want to begin? Because it does start off with the little sueñito, the little dream. I like, yeah, I um. I think the music's a cool thing to talk about because it is a musical and I haven't been exposed to many of them uh, other than Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> the music was amazing. And if you like, well, for me, I caught a lot of references, like little parts where I'm like, wait, this reminds me of another song and another song that you have heard if you come from like that Hispanic culture and they kind of mixed it together with that new modern, like upbeat hip hop type of thing, which was really cool too. And I love musicals. And so I really enjoyed that part of it too. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I mean, for, for the most part, the choreo, the choreography was really well done. Um, I'd say the the opening number was probably my favorite song out of all of them. I think that one and the lottery ticket song were my my two favorites. And that's when everybody was in the pool dancing and singing. They had all these extras and. I'm going off on this tangent, but I think it's something cool to point out. All of the most, if not everybody in the background, all of the the background actors, I forgot what you call them, like the... The extras? Extras, yeah, there you go. (laughs) They were all people of color, which I thought was really cool. And um, what was that, that opening number? I think they were just talking about how proud they were to be in the Heights. I I don't remember how it started off, but I just remember liking the music. But they were talking about just their neighborhood and how it was like. I remember seeing the raspadero. I forgot what they call it because there's a different term for it. The guy who sells shaved ice. Oh, right. Yeah, I remember that. And the guy, that guy who sells shaved ice is one of the actors from Hamilton, I think. Yeah. He well, definitely looks and sounds like one of the actors from Hamilton. I thought Usanavi might have been from Hamilton because his voice sounds very familiar. Us- Usanavi? Usanavi. That us- us- that's so Usi. funny. I love that scene where they showed how he got his name and it's U.S. Navy, but the, like his dad was like Usanavi because like Spanish people pronounce things differently sometimes. Right. So it's it's very funny. But It seemed, it seemed like very authentic just yeah. because it, 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 that's what... Um, a latino father would probably yes, do it, yeah <laughs> it's so funny but um it's, yeah the guy usanavi he the main one i thought he was from hamilton because his voice sounded familiar wow that's that's kind of cool that he would be impressed so much to the extent that he would name his kid after like giant u.s navy ships yeah right? <laughs> that's so funny and and maybe like living in a certain place and not having access to technology and seeing that for the very first time like these grand military infrastructures that are on the ocean that are coming to your land you're like whoa that that definitely does leave an impression on you and it's it's like a signal to something new and i don't know it that's kind of that's kind of crazy because i don't know how people perceive that Maybe he perceived it as an opportunity for him and his sons, his future generations, to move into that country, and then that's where 
you know, a lot of people go to, uh, they ended up going, I don't know where the Heights was. You know what area of New York? In New York. I think it might have been like, not not the Bronx, or just somewhere that's near. like heavily populated yeah. with people of color. I just don't know where. Queens? Somewhere near Queens. Yeah, probably. I'm not too familiar with New York. We're, we're from California, Los Angeles Come on, area. you've recently been to New York. I went for five seconds and I only viewed like, literally, probably like 12, 15 street blocks of New York. Uh, Wow, thanks. Yeah. But anywho, um it's it's kind of cool how like all the the characters, families gravitated toward that area or at least their their families did. Well, cuz that was that was like the area of opportunity especially for the abuela of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cuz in general like the U.S. and especially New York too was a big like place where people would go to and from all these different Latin countries or other countries to find their like dream. That's why it's Suenito, Suenito, the little dream. And the U.S. like it's like all about the American dream, where you're like, oh, I want to have like I want my children and myself to have better opportunities and like a better future. And you see that in the movie how some of them who have came like from from a while back, like La Abuelita and. Even as Anavi, his dad, like with the little shop and all of these things, these are different things that they yeah. built with all their. Yeah, work. even when she was a young kid and she was just forced into labor, and I can only imagine because you're, there were only so uh, few Latina role models. Like, it, but there are, but they're few and far between. And you know, you only have so many to go off of, like Frida Kahlo and many others that were mm-hmm. able to kind of represent your voice, or at least have in whatever industry that they were a part of, and um, and not having social media or not having access a platform to speak with others on like what you're going through. It's um, it's very disenfranchising, and and mm-hmm. I believe that I guess made the best of it and enjoyed the simple things, the simple pleasures of life, and I think that's why I really liked her character so much is because there was some form of pure optimism like i was reading uh listening to uh, a tiktok the other day and i was even telling you about it off the record (laughs) yeah um where there's depth and darkness but there's also depth and and hope and optimism and it's really cute and um yeah, so that, I think that's one of the reasons yeah. why she was one of my favorite characters. And the other one, of course, was the Usanavi. Yeah. I liked his story and his arc yeah. and uh, realizing by the end he, he was home all along. Yeah. You know, that was that's cute. True. Well, going back to like La Abuelita, because when you mentioned the video of hope and so forth, that's where her little line was paciencia y fe, with, which translates into patience, hope and patience. Um, which I think it's like a really great thing to have, but at the same time, it's like, you can also see that it's a combination of not just hope and patience. Like you're not just waiting around, like you're actually going and taking action. And even the cousin, I forgot his name, the one who's undocumented too. He's like, oh, we have to go like protest and march and stuff. And like, I loved that because it's like, yeah, like it's good to be hopeful and have patience. Personally, the hoping part, yeah, government, yeah, but whatever. Um, that's a whole nother conversation in the sense of like going out there and doing and taking action. I think that's something that I liked about the movie because it showed all of like those different yeah angles and such so crazy i was about to say like we're not even talking about film anymore we're talking about politics well because the film is political exactly and that leads me to my other point which i was going to get to until you rudely interrupted me oh okay Uh, is that yeah politics and film Mm -hmm. uh, often 
intertwine. Uh, and I, yeah. Um, so I think you, with the work that, that you're doing, as long as you're staying active, I think the the main thing that people need to understand is that you need to have patience with the work that you're doing because sometimes it can get frustrating because there is little to no progress being made with whatever yeah. you're doing. And I think that's true with all things. <laughs> Yeah, even but, with this podcast. <laughs> hey, you gotta have that yeah. sensei thing. I know. <laughs> it is. Slow and steady wins the race. <laughs> yeah. Well, That's yeah. what Jeb Bush it said during his campaign. And look where he is now. Oh, my. He's not the governor of California anymore. He's not the president. He never became the president of the United States, but. <laughs> okay. I'm just kidding. Uh, but he's so somewhere random. in Florida and somewhere he's living there. his best life. That's all that matters, living <laughs> your best life. <laughs> um. That's so true. Yeah, but what were the other what were some other aspects of the film that you liked? Um oh okay, the girl Nina, I think, cuz she's Nina. 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 Oh my Nina. Stackle. Oh my gosh. Anywho. I lost my shit. Yeah. Uh, Nina. Nina. Yeah. Um, you're so... I, okay. So Nina's the daughter <laughs> of one of the... Oh, she's the... Um, the, the one the who was Stanford. Stanford. Yeah. yeah. And Jinx. <laughs> you owe me a soda. Okay. I don't like soda. Anywho, going back to Nina. So Nina's a character who, like you see, is like usually the first... Well, okay, in Hispanic families, I mean, at least from what I've seen and, like, personally, it's, like, the firstborn or the daughter. Like, you usually have this one person who's, like, the hope for everyone. And so you have so much pressure to be the person who, like, you know, gets out of your neighborhood your neighborhood or wherever you are or yeah. you bring your family out of, like, poverty and all of this stuff. And to, to see her and then to see, like, her talk about, like, her experience at Stanford, too, because, like, you even, like, talk, get into the, a bit of the discussion of how these institutions aren't really made for people of color because, well, you know, that's a whole other conversation, too. Yeah, But exactly. you see her experience with that, but then you see how she also has the pressure of her whole community to be exactly. that, you know, that bright and shining star who's, like, she's the best one. She's the one who, like, you know, is going to make it out of here and blah, blah, blah. And it it just sucks That's sometimes. So but funny how like the film shows a a very nuanced view of optimism, because yes, this girl was smart and was high ranking in her schools and institutions, and then mm -hmm. eventually transferred over to one of the finest that our country has to offer, and those were um, inherently made for white males and white people. And when, you know, other people understand that, too, they go, oh, yeah, like you could do it. And there is some like there's a lot of pressure, but hope uh, yeah. uh, just under that one individual, because there's not many other people that are like her that have. Have given up hope or have other things that they're struggling with in that specific community. So and I think what. I liked about her was how she was resenting all of it and yeah. putting that on against her father and not wanting him to pay and wanting her own independence, but also truly just wanting to find out who she was. So, and, but I think at the, by the end of it, we, um, oh my God, there's so much ambulance. There's, an, there's an, oh, yeah. there's an ambulance out there anyway. Um, but I did, I did like her character. Same, same yeah. as you. 
And I liked how, like, it's funny because she was the one who was like, oh, no, this is my home. Like, I want to be here. I don't want to go out in the other world. But then you have other characters like Vanessa, which is the girl that Usanavi's like, trying to get at or has the biggest crush on. And then she's, like, she just wants to leave because she's just, I mean, it's, I don't think oh, it, yeah. that's another, like, thing that a lot of, like, people of color sometimes experience or like if you live in a certain neighborhood like you just you want to get out of there not because you hate yeah. your people or because you know it's because it's this big controversial thing where it's like oh well like now you've forgotten about like where you've came from and so forth but at the same time it's like no she just wants to have like she wants that career in industry like the fashion industry and she knows that she has to get out of there and like go to a certain place to be able to do that yeah. and so it's funny because you have one character who's like I want to be here. I want to come back to this place. And the other one's like dying to like leave and get out. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like in general, sometimes it's a combination of both when it comes to people, which like I felt like I like resonated with both of them in the sense of like, no, I like this. Usanavi and the girls. Oh, the two girls, Nina and oh. Vanessa, because one is like, oh. this is my home. Like she like misses her home because the one that went to Stanford, right? She like, that's her home, the place that she grew up in, the people her like that she yeah. knows and she loves that's her community oh right. and then you have the other character who's just like wants to leave and get out i, I see so it's like i know i, I truly yeah. understand that yeah it's um they're they're putting um two very different stories into two people that are often um true for people that have grown up in those neighborhoods or those yeah. types of neighborhoods so I, yeah it's interesting to see how it plays out yeah um but yeah, I liked that about those characters. I did too. Yeah. And then I like how you see how even like when Vanessa's trying to apply to this apartment, like you have to have credit. And it sucks because like even when you're trying to like move and like this could be a it's it is it is a bigger issue now with gentrification with when people can't even like they might have the means to pay for rent, which most people don't actually, let's be honest. But even just to like apply to like have like to be able to rent a place like you need all of these background and credit checks and so forth. And she didn't have that. But like, you know, she had saved up. She had worked so hard to be able to have access to that in a sense. But at the same time, there's always like that roadblock. And that's the reality for a lot of people, which kind of sucks. Yeah. So I liked how it was able to show that in a movie as well. Yeah, I did too. Yeah. Yeah. Roadblocks. There's always a bump in the road that you have to like no, go there. Yeah, most definitely. I can't really speak on that. I've never um applied for rent, but I yeah, I can I could see the, her struggle. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> oh my uh, god. Yeah, it's a good movie. <laughs> yeah, Ryan's like I don't I don't understand these struggles, but but it's a good movie. I like the music. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, true. No, like, I mean, well, yeah, you see it from different perspectives, but that's something maybe you haven't, like, faced, but, like, you're, like, seeing that, oh, shoot, that's actually a reality, yeah. and people who don't have to go through that, it's like, oh, shoot, does that actually happen? Yeah, it happens all no, the time. yeah, I think there's a lot of people that don't actually believe these things are happening. Yeah, because they um, haven't seen it or experienced it, but it's like, no, yeah, it actually happens. It's harder than you think. Yeah, it's not... Um... Uh, I guess it's not like the within the scope of their worldview, and yeah, I don't know. Um, final thoughts. Um, I liked it. I re really, really liked it. <laughs> Music was wonderful. I think. Um, I liked the messages. I was like heartbroken when the, like 
you find out the little cousin was this like he's undocumented and then like you know that reality of not being able to go co- go to college and yeah that's so sucks. forth but that's that's a lot um to accept as a younger kid too yeah mm. and especially by the end where usanavi finally does give him that money and he's like okay this is gonna help you all the the whole ninety thousand dollars is going to go toward funding your lawyers, but you're still going to fight an uphill battle battle yeah. either, either way. So it's like you show the reality of. of okay. okay. Yeah. So you show the reality of just it not just being okay. Yeah. One, you need the financial means. With not everybody wins a lottery ticket. Although we have a friend who did win a good amount of well, money. Well, these are the main characters of a movie. Yes, yeah, but it's, see, it's, hand, it's, it's you know it's got to end on some on type of a note positive of optimism. Note. Yeah. Op- but, yeah. Optimism. But I liked that they showed the reality of it. It's like okay, yes, he has a chance. But even like the attorney was like, hey, look, like. You can fight this battle, and even at the end, they can deny you, and basically you'll be deported. Yeah, like it's like that's the reality of it. It's like there's a chance, but there's also a chance that it might. But the end, he's going to be contributing to the economy. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> we got it. We got to keep this capitalist engine running. Okay. Oh my god! You understand? This is serious. I'm just. Kidding. I refuse to work now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I have to work. I need to pay stuff. Yeah. Me yeah. too. We could talk about capitalism another day. Yeah. yeah. Anywho. And how it's truly uh, a deemed Dale Virtuous. Dale Virtuous. Oh my gosh, no. But uh, yeah, as you said, I liked the ending because Usanavi was like, he found, like, he realized that his home was there all along and yeah, your home and- is like with the people that you love and care about. And then you see that, like, hands of Mary and Vanessa, which is really cool. And they have a child, and that was like so cute. Yeah, they make some babies. Yeah. What? The way you said it was funny, but anywho. Yeah, it was a good movie. Loved it. Liked the message. Felt it in the heart. I liked it too. Yeah, I liked the ending. I thought it was just a sweet movie and with some poignant messages and um, great dancing, uh, cool cinematography. And uh, I I don't watch a lot of musicals very often. I I don't you get to see to watch them. more. I know I do. I I don't know many other musicals that I I can't recall that many off the top of my head besides Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I'm being totally serious. High School Musical. <laughs> High School Musical. Well, that one Alex I've never is... seen it. I've never seen the whole thing. Wait, what? I'm never going to go back and see the whole thing. I'm not even going to watch I'm the gonna new show I'm going to make him Disney watch Plus. High School Musical. Not, I'm not going to watch the new show. I haven't watched it. But. Never, ever. It's got Olivia Rodrigo in it. Blech. Shut up. I'm Ryan kidding. listens to her all the no, time. No, I know. Yes, he does. <laughs> okay. Let's be honest, who doesn't? Okay. Yeah, no. Her album is pretty good. Okay, okay, so... Black Widow? Black Widow. What were your thoughts? See, I don't like women in power. That's the thing. Oh, shut <laughs> <laughs> His fragile masculinity is hurt. Yeah, I always try to try to dominate other men and uh, prove that I'm the alpha. So I oh. normally try and outbark them. Oh my gosh! And puff out my chest and take off my shirt when I have to. Oh my! And when I get really triggered by feminists, I'll usually just twist my nipples. I've seen that. He's not <laughs> lying, guys. <laughs> He's not lying, I'm y'all. Just kidding. <laughs> um. Uh, Black Widow. Yeah, I thought it was a good Marvel movie. I I think I would 
Well, first first thoughts. Let's let's see. I think I would rank it above a couple of others. I think this one definitely. I you know what? I'm gonna respect it for having um, balls. Actually, that's not even fitting for what we're talking about. <laughs> um, I think it had some strong ovaries to to discuss um, to make jokes about uh, people losing their ovaries. Yeah. Okay. And um, you know, making some what, what uh, putting some graphic scenes yeah. in the movies and and tackling human trafficking yes. as a subject matter because that's. That was I, I think it normalized the discussion on a lot of things. Like we, people often say that they use movies to escape, but I think a part of that is true. And I also think that movies have to reflect some level of reality to be relatable. Yeah, so that way you connect. I feel like a lot of people say that they use movies to escape, but like if you truly want a movie to escape or like craziness, I saw this TikTok somewhere where it's where it's like, okay, well like look, the new Fast and the Furious one is more of a one to escape because it doesn't really touch upon that many things, but people are just hating on it. And then but like other things like everyone's like, oh yeah, why bring politics into Star Wars? Star Wars is literally all about politics. Yeah. So it's crazy. I don't know, just I don't know. But that's a whole nother subject. But I really do love how Black Widow did touch upon all these things. And genuinely, it's one of my top Marvel movies. Yeah. With how diverse the MCU is. Um, because it's it's coming out with like a whole variety of things right now. It's got um, people messing with the timeline, time traveling, oh, yeah. aliens. Um, it's going to have like Wizards. these human-like aliens from outer space. Pretty soon with the, that Eternals movie that's coming up oh, later yeah. this year, it has web crawlers and super spies, regular spies, <laughs> and uh, just every from anything to everything. The big three. What what did they say in Captain? Um, I don't know. I don't know. It was know. the wizards, space aliens, and I forgot the other one. But yeah. There's the big three monsters. I, I don't know, but I like Falcon and the Winter Soldier yeah, too. Everybody knows how much I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we've all heard your episode. Yeah. If you want to go listen to it right now, that's RIS number 10, part two. Definitely. Go check recommend. it out on Spotify, Amazon Music, and Apple Podcasts. Available now. <laughs> it's been available Shameless for, plug. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely not shameful. So, um, I loved all the characters of the movie. I liked Alexi. I liked... Eh, the mom was okay. Yeah, I feel like they could have done way more with her. Yeah, especially um, her sister. She was cool. I love her sister. Yelena, yeah. I believe. Yeah, she I, she is going to be in future projects like yeah, based on that ending. Definitely. I loved her. She was so cool. And I was so... I, I don't know. I just loved how she made fun of Black Widow, too, in her poses. Yeah. That was, like, one of that my was cute. Poses. That was... Yeah. I think she had a lot of cute scenes where... Uh, it, even when she was at the family and she had an emotional moment yeah. and getting caught up with herself and saying... And, told never told her sister not to say the things that she was saying yeah um just because like you know she was emotionally attached to that family and the uh the the yeah well yeah because fictional it was well because to natasha she knew it was like a mission and but to her that was her reality that was her family that was her sister that was her real mom and dad so her like 
experience throughout all of that to her it was real but to like natasha was like no it was like just fake and stuff like that but she was just saying it i think out of anger too because like you can see how like the bond that she built with her sister even though they're not actual sisters was still real yeah yeah but then yeah i I loved that like in general that's the subtext for it too because in the moment she's she's not only yeah but like you said not only talking about the family but talking about her relationship with her sister yeah because when that, you're denying the that whole was probably thing. something that she cherished the most out of anything yeah you, you can sisters <laughs> sister sister we are sisters yeah we love each other oh my gosh <laughs> oh wait is that a french accent or is that a russian accent? no that sounds like a bad accent <laughs> <laughs> oh okay <laughs> A little more Russian. Doesn't resemble any real <laughs> accent. Yeah, fail. I'm just mm-hmm. kidding. Um, no, yeah, it sounded more Russian, but no, yeah, I love the movie. I love Deluxe too. He's so funny. He's like typical dad, I guess, but he's he caught up in his own. Yeah, his ego and masculinity. Yeah, I thought that was, he was cool. funny though. There was a yeah, like I was telling you. Um, in the in the car on the way out yeah 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 so i i think a lot of people critics including myself were kind of disappointed that the um that joke arc didn't get any type of resolve because he really wanted to fight captain america he wanted captain america to know about him (laughs) he wanted to see if captain america even asked about him well scarlett johansson was with the avengers I mean, Black Widow, Natasha yeah. Romanoff, whatever. <laughs> and uh, and then he finally gets to gets around to act fighting Taskmaster, who has uh, Captain America's fighting skills, has replicated them, yeah. whatever, through her own technology, studied him, and uh, and he didn't say anything. We could have we could have used one line where where he could have said like, "Ah, you are you are not Captain America." But I will take you. Hmm. I will fight you. No, I, yeah. I will fight you anyway. Yeah, I liked when you told me that because I was like, that would have been perfect because in that scene, it's like she had or Taskmaster has the shield, and like they're using the same battle skills as Captain America. Like that's literally a replica of him, or like the way he fights. And like I, in my mind, that was I guess the closure of the joke. But it would have been so perfect had they added that line. Yeah. Yeah, each joke has its own arc. Like mm. the the one where the sister was uh, like kind of making fun of the oh, Black yeah. Widow for, for like, doing poses. that pose, yeah. and then she ended up doing the pose in the third and act, then she, like, and then that was like the herself. resolve of, of that joke. So yeah. it did have its own story arc. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I liked that. No, but that line would have been perfect had they added it. Yeah. yeah. So I liked how you said su- you said it right away after like we had just watched it. I was like. Dude, that would have been like perfect. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, because I'm very smart. I'm oh just... my gosh, <laughs> he likes to praise himself. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I am Alexei. I am Red Guardian. Mm. Um, yeah, it's just a good movie overall. I know a lot of critics are panning it, and especially the the third act because there was uh, some criticism for missing uh, potential, and. I, I think it was the fact that the mom didn't actually betray Black Widow. Like, it didn't, yeah. you know, she wasn't under the influence of a man in that moment, uh, which would have been more accurate, 
you know, for real life situations yeah. where women are abused. But I, I, th- I don't know. I, I, I think there was there was more to to that that I'm kind of strawmanning right now. But um, I, you know, I thought the third act was good. Did they yeah. did the villain um did i i guess he was formidable in his own way so yeah. and they ended up taking him down and it's i i like the fact that um you know they have a villain that you can't affect no matter what and in in that scene where uh he's you know he's talking with natasha she can't fight him she can't do anything to him because he's invulnerable he trained her that way and i think that's uh the pheromones i yeah with there's some there's type of mind control there yeah, Wait, bio control right i think that in it in and of itself reflects some type of conditioning women uh, are brought up with in real life mm-hmm. so yeah it, it does touch some serious themes but i think it does so respectfully yeah and um Although I didn't give a complete justification for it, I, I, um, uh, I don't know. The whole story arc and winning that battle, I think, I think it was fine. So, you know, I don't really have any com- um big complaints with the movie yeah. overall. Oh no, to me, I loved it because as you were talking about how it parallels, I guess, in a sense of like women who have been abused and like for so long too, like you like even Natasha she was brainwashed and then the other women were like controlled in this extreme manner but at the same time in real life it's like when you're conditioned for so long to believe certain things or to not do certain things it's so hard to like even like leave these abusive relationships because of x y and z which is a whole nother conversation but at the same time I loved how in the end even with the taskmaster like how Natasha was like you like he he's he's gone like you know he you're free and to me that felt like such a powerful like moment just as because it's like that moment where women are coming together to liberate them from their abuser yeah because that guy was literally a he's an abuser he, yeah they should they literally showed him punching mm, natasha romanoff yeah and he's like to an extreme like he has trafficked so many little girls and in the beginning introduction was so like that hit hard like i i was just left speechless after that but like i love the ending because it's like they all came to like in a way came like even all the girls like you see them all the other black widows fighting against black widow even though she's the one like trying to help them and in reality sometimes it's like it's so hard to even accept the help that you in a sense need because you've been conditioned no like i have to listen to him or like or else things are going to be worse and so forth like that there's so much psychology that goes into that yeah um but yeah i just thought it was such a powerful moment so you you uh, as a woman appreciated the metaphor of uh, of an abuser and the the victim. That's a weird way. To, yeah, pretty. I, yeah, I like for like it's. Well, I didn't yeah. mean to put it in an uncomfortable term. Yeah. or phrasing. Well, no, I, I that's get what, what I, you're that's going what I meant. with. Yeah, yeah, because it was like that moment where you're finally free, where you no longer have to worry about this and the psychology guy. of it. Yeah, that's also what I meant to add. Yeah. Pretty much, and I love that because it was like that liberating moment. And that's what, like, you know, they're um, Helena and Black Widow are doing. They're liberating all these women from their abuser, yeah. in a sense. And I, I don't know. I it just really resonated, and I thought it was just just a beautiful moment. Yeah, yeah, it it was. I, I liked everything falling out of the sky too. I thought that was cool. <laughs> oh yes, I loved that scene where like she like kind of like jumped. Because her old world 
was shattering. Oh my, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love Big that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, her old world, all of that, the world that was created by this. Her trauma was being undone. Well, I wouldn't go that far. Oh, well, yeah, <laughs> but it's like slowly like coming apart and it's like, okay, now we're like getting over this aspect in a sense because she was facing that so you have to face it in order to get over it which is pretty cool because she literally had to face him yeah and she faced a couple punches (laughs) literally literally, her punches i mean her face took the punches yeah yeah idiot that she did that was crazy and i oh that part where she literally like because you know he didn't hit her hard enough so she had to like break her own nose oh gosh i hate oh that part was yeah. This this movie had big cojones for sure. It definitely did. I mean, big ovaries. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, um Giant size. Oh my god. I don't mean to dwell on that for too long. I I'd rate this movie a uh, 8 out of 10. I had fun. I respected it. And there's there's nothing that big to complain about yeah as a movie it was fine it's just it's just an enjoyable movie i don't think i don't know why people are overthinking it yeah i think because i feel it was a little bit slow i don't know like your terms like first act second act like you do but like after like the beginning where they show like what happens after um civil war it was a bit slow but at the same time it's like they kind of had to like had this been made earlier would have been pretty cool but and I feel like they wouldn't have to have to like shown so much of that part, I guess. But uh, overall, I loved it. It was amazing. One of my favorite Marvel movies. I'd give it a nine out of ten. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. You different, girl. <laughs> oh my god. You smart, loyal. You genius. He's trying to DJ Khaled me. <laughs> no. Mm. Um. Okay. Uh. So. Yeah. Black Widow in the Heights and now Loki. I think Loki was the best one. I love Loki. Yeah. He's one of my favorite characters. I knew I think this was going to be a hit out of the ballpark. A swing at a swing at uh at Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> okay. Um a kick in the nuts. I knew it was going to be fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> It's Loki, some of course. Some people like cock and ball torture. Oh, my God. That's why I say kick in the nuts, because some people okay. actually like that. They think it's fantastic. Yeah, I was like, isn't that painful? But I mean, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Or when you're kicking somebody else in the testicles, you feel good. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I mean, you do you, sir. You do you. Well, because you want to wreak vengeance on the other person. And then you're, oh my god! And then you feel satisfied by seeing them, and in also because you feel it on your foot, and it just is all warm and mushy. Oh my gosh! Okay. Wow. Okay, Ryan, calm down. <laughs> Anywho, Loki. Uh, yeah, I I don't remember everything that happened. I'd just say it's it's a good Marvel show. You should go watch it. Of course, there are a lot of other people talking about it. So I'm always hesitant to yeah. do these reviews because like everybody mm. gives their thoughts, and I was like, um, I'm not gonna do like a scripted essay for this one because one like people jump on that shit and yeah. they release videos and, like, like a right week away. or or a week and a half after, and yeah. it's like by the time I get around to it, like 
nobody really wants to hear anything but i try to be different of course anyways i'm i'm venting of course but um what what were your thoughts um i loved it it was i i don't know my mind was just baffled i my heart was broken so many times um i love loki but i think the part that everyone was hating on was sylvie and loki like kissing everyone was like how dare they and stuff like that well if we're being honest everybody or at least most guys have sex with themselves oh my god because they you know they go into their rooms they take off their pants okay yeah yeah i I don't know i'm not a man so but anywho and they rub lotion on their feet Okay. <laughs> they, they need a foot massage after so much walking. Yeah. Yeah. And also they jerk off. Oh my gosh. Okay. Anywho. Anywho. Um. Um. I didn't think it was weird. No. Another guy put it perfectly. There's no moral foundation for loving yourself in that way, or if there was another version of you. Um, Self That was out there there's it's not like you're dating your sister oh that's yeah that's right weird. see because it's like i don't know i feel like in a way it's a form of ultimate self-love because he like sees a lot of himself and her because they are the same person so if you do think about it it's learning to love yourself so much in which i think self-love is something that is but it's positive supposed to be romantic are you supposed to have like a platonic relationship a platonic love for yourself like i know there's a couple voices in your head but like would you give those voices like a tangible body and you like allow them to plow you or or you plow why them. why are you thinking about that well, i'm just saying like <laughs> well i don't know i don't i don't know i, don't I wouldn't know. let I... my other voice i wouldn't i wouldn't plow the other voice in my head but i guess some people are into that i guess i don't know i but guess the other thing is is that it, it was seen by a lot of critics as the ultimate form of narcissism. Yeah, that's, I guess, in a sense, very narcissistic because it's like, okay, I don't know. I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. I was indifferent about it. But that's not narcissism. Narcissism is where you love yourself so much to the point where you you can love nobody else. And I think it is a form of narcissism, but to a lesser degree because, of course, he felt some compassion for... He well, loved you, his brother. He loved his mother. Yeah, com- he, compassion for the other guy. Mobius. And I think, yeah, no, they formed a strong friendship. I think a lot of people wanted to see them end up together just because, you know. Yeah. Like he's gender fluid and Whatever. So you know, it's, they didn't promise, Marvel Studios didn't promise that he would be gender fluid. Uh, oh, no, he is. In but the comics? He, it's, no, didn't they say he was I mean, officially the, gender fluid in, or like. In the MCU? He, no, even in the show when Loki and Sylvie are talking, yeah, they're like basically. Well, well he didn't say he was gender fluid, fluid he, but in the file or something, I saw someone sit, point out that he was gender fluid. But he's also. Um, well, that's not. I don't know if he's bisexual or pansexual or he's. Sure. Yeah, you can be bisexual. Yeah, but but people it, wanted to see him with sh- another okay, guy. Okay, so that's. That's what they wanted. So if I told you that I was gender fluid, would you believe me? Yes. You would, yeah. How would I? But how would I be gender fluid? I'm not. I'm not bashing anybody that that deems themselves as gender fluid. I'm just think. I'm like, how are you going to go about it logically? Because 
the portfolio said that he was gender fluid, but he didn't. But he was completely masculine, or most, or for most of his. For most part, but then he also like when he shape shifts. If he shapeshifts into a woman, and but he, he... Did, but this the oh, variant and... of Loki doesn't shapeshift well, into we've a woman, or he, doesn't prefer he, he... to shapeshift into a woman. But his other variant does. Oh, his variant, yeah, but his other variant goes into like she just goes and controls whoever she needs to. But I don't think but we really doesn't... get to see much of that but in like... this case because he's kind of focused on specifically, you know, the TVA and what's going on, so he doesn't have time to go and like have his fun and be his fun self. Well, we never see, we've never seen that fun self. I guess, okay. Well, they mentioned little things, like when he went, like he went the whole plane thing, I forgot the name. I guess that's a better argument. Okay, I'll accept that we haven't seen his fun side because he's been so caught up in the other other MCU uh, plots. (laughs) Yeah, like you even like mentions, like, or like even when you see him stuck in that, um, that time loop that he does like you know so what's his i'm trying to like understand where you're coming from what's his fun side well when he's okay to him his fun mischievous side when he's playing tricks on people when he's pretending to be someone like literally in the freaking he's pretending to be a girl not necessarily a girl but that doesn't make him gender fluid if it's not necessarily a girl that doesn't make him gender fluid Oh, well, I maybe he also, like, I think in a sense he does kind of fit in more with, like, because he has side times where he's, like, more in tune with his masculine side, but also his feminine side of being more, like. But that's. But, I mean, in in general, I kind of, in I don't fully agree with, like, okay, well, like, why does this have to be more feminine and why does this have to be more masculine? There's no, I don't think but there is. But that's a whole other conversation. Well, okay, so let me ask you something. Is yes. there a strict definition for gender fluidity? Is there, is there strict principles for how a person should act well when they're gender there's not okay because i think it's it's supposed to be a broad term right it's a broad term where it's like okay sometimes you want to be more masculine sometimes you want to be more feminine i think i'm not the expert on these things sometimes you want to put on a wig and makeup and then listen to Halle berry (laughs) okay (laughs) what i have i heard that before what i've not You've said that before. I have. I feel like you have. <laughs> is Halle Berry even an artist? I don't know who that is. That's a, she's an actress. I don't think okay. she has any uh, any songs. <laughs> I don't know, but Loki in general, I think people were pissed off because of that, but I liked it. I loved how it's kind of like introduced, like, well, it's paving the pathway to so many more MCU movies that are yeah. going to come up, and I think it goes into a lot of philosophical aspects, too. A lot of discussion on free will also like okay like um how are you to weigh like what's right or what's wrong or what actions you should take the consequences of them and so forth and then you see how like this plays out with sylvie and loki and they're like oh shoot like okay do we kill this guy do we not kill this guy if we kill this guy what's gonna happen is there something worse is it all just a means to an end and all of these other like crazy things but i really loved it and i thought it was cool because i saw some like when we were like watching the last episode i kind of was like oh my god why does this seem like god and like adam and eve and then someone like pointed out little things like oh the apple the snake or like Mm. yeah things like that and i was just like oh wow that's so crazy but in general i wasn't really thinking about that well when you said philosophical conflicts i'm thinking more of okay well in life you have Sometimes you have two choices, and depending on which one you pick, like that's going to affect 
the rest of your life. Yeah. In some capacity. And, but other times it's like a pattern of choices too. Yeah. So, but maybe it also roots back to that single choice that you made of becoming something. But see, what I liked about this in general, in terms of Loki, is that it shows that Loki's. Because Loki in general is supposed to be this guy who can never change, right? He's just. They explain that even with the other variants of Loki. They go into that, but. Yes, it's about the choices you make, but it also shows that you can make a different choice and choose to do better or be better. And I don't know. I just really like that message in general. And Loki demonstrates that very well. You could always make up for what you've done. Yeah. Be better. Yeah. Not defined uh, by your past actions. Right. Yeah, that's true. I I think that message was able. I think the show was able to sell that message really well. And there was a tremendous amount of growth with the char- this variant of Loki because he, um, he, like in the Avengers movie, he was literally ripping somebody's eye out. Oh, yeah. Right? For, yeah. Yeah. Like right before Captain America and Tony Stark showed up in that scene. And yeah, I, I, by the end, you could definitely... Um, see him trying to sway Sylvie into believing him. Like, you you know, like, on his face, and I think that's the first time we see as an audience him telling the truth. There's another critic that explained it really well, too. His name is Cosmonaut Variety um, on YouTube, and I, I listen to him a lot. So, overall, I like the show. Yeah, I mm-hmm. loved it. I loved seeing all of the different Lokis, too, and Alligator Loki is one of my favorites. Alligator He's Loki. so cute. Yeah, true. But no, yeah, I loved it. Um, I thought it was really good. And yeah, Loki's one of the best. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I don't know. I'm excited to see what they do next. I'm excited for season two. I was heartbroken when Mobius didn't remember him because he's in a different timeline now, most likely. Um, Yeah, I don't know where this is going, but I know that they're going to do a lot with Kang and Jonathan Majors. He's going to be in Quantum of Quantum Mania. Uh, yeah, Quantum Mania. And uh, all, like a, a lot of other MCU shows and, and movies. I'm pretty sure he'll be in Loki season two, or at least a variant of him will be in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then Loki's going to most likely be in other things as well. So it's all, I don't know. I'm excited to see where this goes. Me too. Yeah. And I'm, I can't wait till they introduce all these other characters as well. So, yeah, I liked it. Well, I like talking to you about this show. I think you're a great guest. Shut up. But try not to take your shirt off so often in the studio, okay? Oh, my gosh. We got employees here. Deanna, you can't flash everybody that you run across, okay? I have my shirt on, y'all, okay? so You can't pick and flick. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) No side eyes. Shut No texting when we're having a meeting, okay? I'm not texting. You were the one who has your... You were the one who has your phone right in front of him. Mm Mm-hmm. I wasn't using it. Yeah, you see how his like voice like pitched? That's how you know he's lying. Uh, oh, okay. Mm. It's on recording. Okay, okay, little little Among Us sassy baka. Hey. <laughs> All right. Okay, everybody. Um, stick around for the Pandorum review. Uh, oh, do you want to say any final words? Oh, um. Y'all should watch those things if you haven't. And Loki's amazing. And just just be better. Do better. 
be better. Be like Loki, who you know is constantly trying to improve himself. Kind of. Don't he's, he's, don't try to be better than the person sitting right across from you. Try to be smart. better than the person you were yesterday. Yes, there you go. Improve incrementally by one percent each day that you live. Okay. okay. All right, everybody. I think All that's right. a good night note to live on. We'll see you next time. Uh, kisses. <laughs> All right. So now we're, we've arrived at the request for this episode, Pandorum, which was directed by Christian Alvar and written by Travis Malloy, who are only credited for a few other roles. This movie was requested on my Instagram post by Raj Nandez. Now, was it worth watching? Not really. I'll try to make this brief, but I don't think I can name a single redeeming quality for this film. And again, actually making films is a lot more difficult than people might suspect, so I'll try not to be too mean about it. Here's a quick synopsis for you. Astronauts Peyton, Dennis Quad, and Bauer, Ben Foster, awake in a hypersleep chamber with no memory of who they are or what their mission might be. While Peyton stays behind to monitor the radio transmitter, Bauer ventures out of the chamber into the seemingly abandoned spaceship. The men quickly realize that they are not alone and that the fate of mankind hinges on what they do next. Ooh, alright. So, sounds pretty intriguing, right? No, it's a load of shit. There's hardly anything to say for this one. The actors did a fine job. The monsters are these evolved, uh, savage humanoids that kind of resemble other pale movie monsters. I don't know how else to describe their look other than gross, unappealing, something I never want to see in my life again. The, the design did seem like a logical evolutionary phase since humans had developed that way for hundreds of years in the story. And I bet the artists put a lot of effort into it. But... It didn't help this movie's case at all. It's not even one of the main reasons why this whole film left a bad taste in my mouth. The editing by itself is just god-awful. When you see the monsters chasing the main characters, the camera is always at poor angles with quick-cut editing to accelerate the fast pace, which, to be fair, a lot of movies from this decade were guilty of, even Quantum, which I talked about earlier but it was nowhere near as bad as this. This is arguably the worst sample uh, out of the whole decade because the other films were at least charming and had somewhat of a decent story. And the big reason for the awful editing is the title itself, Pandorum, which is supposed to be a form of psychosis the characters experience when they are under emotional or physical duress. When the leads are undergoing its symptoms, the editing resorts to a lot of intense close-ups, shaking, and quick cuts. And it'll usually be when they're remembering something from their past because another symptom of the illness is partial amnesia. They also use it to advance the plot, especially with that really bad twist at the end. And I hope you never watch this movie if you don't want to waste your time at all. You know, when you watch a movie and think, boy, that sure is convenient. <laughs> oh yeah, there are a lot of moments like that. Uh, to the point where it just makes it laughably bad. Uh, one thing I normally like about movies, too, is the philosophical conflict and the exploration of how the main hero and the villain morally differ. And they gave a really half-assed attempt for this one. I did not appreciate it at all. Uh, for one, the villain is just written as someone who just snapped into becoming a psychopath after Earth was destroyed, which we find out a little bit later on. He's no one we can really sympathize with, and by the end he tries swaying the hero into becoming like him by explaining why violent society is better than civilization. What? 
No reasonable person would buy into that notion at all. Like, maybe it would be cool for five seconds on Earth if, you know, we didn't have any laws and then we can just shoot other people, but we, eventually we would get shot back. And you're on an isolated spaceship that also contains rabid humanoid creatures, so how can he expect anyone to say, Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, that seems fine. I'll join. <laughs> Villains have to be people that we could completely empathize with. He shows up near the end of the second act, and only at the climax does he actively try to sway the hero into becoming a protege, savage, or overlord of the ship. The guy didn't even have any real power to begin with, so if any audience were to watch this, they'd probably think he's just purely out of his mind and a blockade for the hero's journey. That's it. So yeah, I hate to admit it, but this film was everything I despise, and I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. There's nothing even worth spoiling. So Roger, even though I love you and I can appreciate the request, watching this definitely felt like a chore. Well, that was fun. I, I really had a good time with you all, and I hope you did too. Uh, I wish there was something more that I could talk about or something to do. Let's harmonize. No, no, stop. Get out of here. Please, Logan Paul, just leave. Thank you. Um, Ryan? Do you have time to sing a goodbye song before you go? Uh, I'm good, actually. But how about a little air guitar? Alright, everybody, that's the end of the episode. Goodbye, we'll see you next time on RIS number 11, part 2.